A discussion of diversity in our sport, more Best of Texas, and a conversation with San Antonio legend George Block. Here we go. It's the TX Water Polo Podcast, James Smith in Austin and Joe Linehan in North Texas. How are you, Joe? I'm good, James. How are you? I'm good. You know, something's funny about your voice up there. It sounds like you're in a property that's empty. I am. We are preparing our house to be sold. So there you, you go. Can, you can hear your voice reverberating against the walls. It's so clean. Yeah. So what's, so, so what's going on? Where are you going? We are, Steph and I are moving to San Antonio. You familiar with this town? You've been there before? I grew up in San Antonio. I have family still down there. Steph has family down there. Steph has more family that's moving down there. Nice. So it makes, so it makes sense as far as the family is kind of set up. And then she got a great job at, in the Kamout ISP school district. She's going to be an instructional coach. Um, obviously, I work for USA Warpole and work out of the house. But it's also going to give me a little bit more of an opportunity to, to work hands-on with a lot of the growth and development kind of aspects kind of down there in San Antonio as far as water polo is concerned. Right. We'll get into that a little bit here in a, in a moment. Um, so we're going to be neighbors, basically, San Antonio-Austin corridor. Just right around the corner. Just an hour and 15 minutes away. No problem. Because it's a – do you have any idea, like, where you're going to go, like, where, where you're looking for a place to live? Because it's not, it's not like, the, you know, downtown San Antonio. Um, no, we're going to be living out at 281 and 46, which right. is – which is north of town, and uh, was it? It's close to where she works, I'll, and I'm gonna drive into town probably a couple times a week type thing. So, okay. um, it's 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 just a nice, easy place. It's we're only gonna work at least for a year to kind of see if that works for us or not, and then we'll be buying a place next summer. So, all right, well, we'll talk about that actually in the the next segment because you have um I, I think you have some things that are on the books or in your plans for San Antonio, which are really huge. We've talked about it for a while. It's been a little bit of a secret, but you know, not that big a secret. You announced it on a zoom meeting last week. I was so mad about that. But anyway, um, yeah, we have to dive into this uh, huge issue. It's not one that I relish. I have to say, because it, it is so, it is complicated, but, um, we obviously are in a in a pretty severe state in this country uh, altogether. And again, as I said last week, this is just a little stupid water polo podcast, tiny little microcosm of what goes on in the country. Um, and uh, and that's sort of the way that I, I like to keep it. What I thought might be interesting to at least address is that, and I know this just having observed it myself, is that USA Water Polo for many years, in fact, maybe since I was in late high school, late 80s, early 90s, has had a series of efforts to improve, increase diversity. Because this is the obvious thing to state. And it has been said oh, how many millions of times. Like, this sport is overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly uh, wealthy, generally speaking, as opposed to, say, the European people who come and play. They're, they're sort of mystified by how everything is sort of top down here. Um, but there are and have been efforts to change that over time, and you are part of that, um, I would say. And you, and maybe not directly, maybe it's a, your own work on the side. But for the state of Texas, um, that is something that obviously is going to be addressed along with everywhere else in the country. But what is it that you recall and can share and can talk about effort-wise in this state to? to increase diversity? I mean, obviously I, I work for USA Water Polo, specifically sports growth and even more specifically Texas development. But yeah, I mean, we have a diversity and inclusion problem within um, uh, our sport of water polo. I mean, it is, you do not see a lot of people of color um, as far as at the water polo games, as far as coaches, as far as, as referees. You know, we also have an issue with like, you know, like, a gender uh, kind of a kind of a problem too. There's a lot more uh, males that are playing than females. So I mean, I just think it's a everyday kind of effort, and I think there's a lot of programs out there and things that are working and not working. I mean, we've gone out to El Paso and had some youth water polo get started out there, dip down down in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, 
there, I mean, there's, there's a great opportunity for a lot of diversity and inclusion down in the San Antonio kind of areas, but it's, there's tons of opportunities over in Houston and North Texas and Austin as well. And I, and, and, and I think it's everybody's responsibility to kind of look at their programs and see how can we do a better job. That's and, fair enough. And and yeah, and yeah, and kind of work with local cities and yeah, and work with uh, local uh, YMCA's to provide programming that meets all different classes and social economic groups. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's an issue that's fraught, um, and it's made some news in the USA water polo community this week, as it probably should have, but. Uh, um, I'm going to say that we leave it at that and uh, move on to stuff that's more water polo related. Um, it's something that's it's going to emerge <laughs> and has actually I'll, I'll let me back up a moment. Like the, the, the idea, or at least my recollection of how things happen is that these things sort of crop. Uh, I should be really clear about this, that USA water polo's efforts to address diversity sort of come and go. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that there are campaigns and then, something happens and then there's another campaign and such. So uh, there's just no way that this is not going to come up again now in, in these particular circumstances. So it'll be something that we will monitor. Yeah. And it, and it's going to take a consistent effort on a variety of levels of which USA water polo is part of, is going to be yeah. part of that effort yes. to make this happen yes. and to, and to make a significant change in, in our sport. And, and I know there's people out there that are going to be saying, yes, yes, yes. And there's going to be other people that are saying, oh, the sport's fine. No, this is this is part of this is part of sports growth. I think, you know, kind of people have told myself and told you, James, oh, my God, you know, kind of Texas has grown and grown and grown. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. And I appreciate the comment. But we have just taken some baby steps. There's so much more work to do. I and would say more yeah. work that we can do. And of and 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 diversity and in, uh, and inclusion should be and will be a big a big part of that. Yeah, I would say that that's the that's my preferred way to address it or at least to discuss it is that there is there's plenty plenty more to be done uh, on for the sake of growth in and of itself, but also for a broader you know set of experiences and. Um, um, I'm not going to go knee deep into my club. I'm actually quite proud of the way that we are. Um, and that's not to say that things can't get better, but I, I'm, I'm, uh, it's something that we're going to obviously be talking about for years, but I figured, um, uh, we had to discuss this at least a little bit. Actually, Joe's the one who figured we had to discuss this more than I did just to be fair. We, yeah, we both decided to discuss it. Oh yeah. Equally. Okay. <sighs> I had written down from last week's script, you know, let's move on to the lighter side of things when we went to start to uh, talk about coronavirus. And so we're something in the same situation, except the news is pretty decent. I mean, a lot of this stuff got kind of buried in the larger news, which is uh, completely understandable. But there are more teams that have gotten in the pool in in addition to mine. Um, Pegasus had apparently more than 70 kids on its first day. they had the people coming and going all day at a at a pool that is a racket club. Is that right? Well, T Bar M. Yeah, it's a racket club that has a pool that's open seasonally. It's a six lane shallow deep pool, and I think they just rotated groups in and out all day. It's awesome. Want, I'd love to. I, I actually am thinking about like checking out these practices because I want to know what it is that they do. I've been asked by people from through, all over the country. In fact, you know what? I'll, I'll address that in a moment. But uh, I've had people ping me from all over the country about what it is that we've been doing at practice, and I will I will reiterate that. So, they are at the T Bar M Private Racket Club. Is that how you call it? Yes. And so, what I believe Pegasus is doing, they had 12 kids per practice. There's okay. no contact. It's passing only, and yep. and, in, and individual skills. Swimming is only two per lane, mm-hmm. and they start at opposite ends. No shooting. Um, I don't know. Okay, I'm I'm not trying to put Joe on the spot. He doesn't have to know every answer. I'm I'm genuinely curious about this, and we will follow up with our friends at Pegasus to see what that looks like. So, at the same time, Triumph uh, down in Houston is is in the I think you called it the Williams Indoor Pool, and uh, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, just down there in the League City kind of area. Okay. And they started last week, and they had an older like an older kids group, a younger kids group. I think they had two practices last week. 
Um, and they're starting again this week, but they have a group that comes in and then they come in one entrance, they leave a different entrance, they have a group. And then obviously, so the kids don't kind of, kind of talk back and forth. They have specific places where they mm -hmm. have their stuff kind of, kind of put down. Um, I don't believe that the pool gave them any specific criteria other than to like, like just to do the general social distancing. Yeah. Um, so I think that they did a very responsible thing and they came up kind of with their own plan and they have, you know, 12 people per practice. They only have a couple people in the pool um, and they do practice the social distancing and no contact as of right now. And I'm sure that'll change as all this is and as we move forward this summer. So, yeah, of course it's going to change over time. Um, okay. So that that's another club in that general area. Southside is in the pool once a week. Is that right? Yeah. They started yesterday. So, okay. They have, um, I think they were only because all groups have to spread a, a little bit more. They were given three practices kind of during the week. And so three time slots. So what they did was they split that, uh, they split their club up. So each athlete gets once a week in the pool and mm -hmm. they're continuing to do their um, dryland sessions uh, via Zoom and once a week chalk talk. So they're still kind of like, you know, working with the athletes on more than one occasion, but now they just have Oh, once a week in the water. And I believe they have, what, two or three people per lane. And I do believe that they are doing passing and shooting. So. Okay. Yeah. But, well, um, yeah but it's still no contact. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so uh, our practice that was supposed to take place tonight was canceled because the city forgot to put sand down on the new paint job on the floor. So they got to do that. But um, we will be there Thursday. For those who are interested, the rules that we've adopted are based on the city of Round Rock has told us basically to follow the rules that the governor has set out. And so we are and they and those are guidelines, by the way, they're, they're not legally enforceable. And I, I know that can sound a little dodgy, but the point being that they're guidelines. And so we put together a series of rules as well. The, by far, the most prominent one is the social distancing thing. It's a two-meter thing. You get within two meters of somebody and hang out there. Obviously, passing one another is going to happen. But uh, you sitting there touching someone in the pool or out of the pool is like, okay, get dressed and go home. So yeah. um, that that's our primary rule. Um, we obviously, if you have symptoms, no way, get out of here. You're, you're not even coming close. Um, and we keep, we keep parents off the deck. We keep the coaches separated as well. Um, we do dry land where everybody has a lounge chair that's two meters apart and they keep their stuff there and they stay there for dry land or for any sort of uh, lecture or conversation kind of thing. Um, so those are the sort of general rules by which we abide. And I'm trying to create a little bit of variety in our practices given the those those pretty strict rules that's good and then there and then there's and we talked about them a little bit last week but the sigma water polo which is a mm, yeah yeah, yeah. Club, they did start last wednesday and they had two practices they have a splash ball group then they have a 14 and u group and then they have an 18 u group um, and they practice back to back to back there in the wow. water for uh, 45 minutes per session i think they have seven or eight kids per group so okay. right now, that's about 20 to 25 kids, right? Total, which yeah. is great for a brand new program. And, um, and, uh, and like, I believe that they're doing temperature checks for every uh, kid. Coming okay. In. So in order to all the, for all the social distancing stuff, but they're also doing temperature checks as well. Right. So everybody's a little bit different on what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, which is what to be expected. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah just exactly. And, uh, and, and, to my knowledge, I don't believe there's any school district pools that are allowing clubs in yet. So. Right. And so I was going to ask you that real quickly, maybe, is uh, that, you know, the big clubs, Viper Pigeon, Thunder, those, have you heard anything about what the next steps are for them, maybe? I think they're just looking at alternatives because a lot of, I mean, they, they utilize big school district yeah. pools and stuff yep. like that. They have a lot of water time at those pools. Unfortunately, it's not working out as of right now. Right. Um, I think they're just being patient. I think those pools are going to become uh, kind of more available here in late June, early July. So all the athletes, parents, just be patient. It will happen. Um, but uh, I, I think they're looking for alternatives, whether it's HOA pools, um, um, uh, either uh, kind of local private pools. But they're not the only ones kind of looking for, for pool time. Yeah. There's also big swim clubs that are looking yep. for pool time as well. Yeah. So, and there are some league swim teams that are looking for pool time. So, you know, kind of pool time is almost turning into ice time now. Yeah, it really yeah. is. So, yeah. I mean, which is, which for anybody that knows what I'm talking about, that is um, for youth hockey, you know, 
you have people that practice from two to three o'clock in the morning, you know? So. Yeah. Like masters too. That's the, that's the best part. Like the old players, they'll come in at midnight and play or something exactly. like that. So, I mean, but uh, yeah, so that's, so that's kind of just, I mean, it's a little bit better this week than it was last week. And I'm hoping yeah. that be a little bit better next week. So. All right. That's we're done with this first segment. Uh, we'll come back and we've been, and we'll talk about a story that's gotten buried by all of this other stuff. It's not even really a story. It's, a, as I called it last week, a stunt on our part. But uh, Best best of Texas Part 2 um, is now closed, or at least the, the first round of that. And we'll come back and go over that in a moment. In many podcasts, this time would be filled with ads for electric toothbrushes or recruiting services. Not here. Instead, we're asking you to show your support for TX Water Polo by donating to it. Go to txwaterpolo.com slash donate and help us continue covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hi, this is Natalie Benson, and you are listening to a podcast about water polo in Texas. James and Joe back with you. We uh, wanted to cover just a couple more things because uh, we got an interview coming up. At least uh, that's the plan for the time being. Um, we have uh, completed our first round of the second Best of Texas tournament. These are programs. Um, we're going to go over the results, but the, truthfully, they didn't really change much from last week when we did some preliminary ones. So um, I'll, I'll go through these one by one, and you can make a comment, and I'll bet they'll be almost identical to the things that you said last week. How does that work, Joe? Sounds good. Yeah, good. Uh, Baytown Sterling girls over Clear Creek girls, 64 to 36%. That was a surprise, right? No. Oh, that was not the surprise. Okay, next one. <laughs> that was that was the surprise, I think. Psych, uh, Clear Lake girls, 60% over Psych Creek girls, 42%. That's a bit of a surprise to me. Yeah. Now, yeah. Not necessarily that Clear Lake won. I'm not surprised that they won, but that there was a 20 point difference. So they had a lot of voters and that got good. the vote out. But I mean, just that side Creek actually had more state championships than I the know girls. Yeah, so. I know. Go back and read those accomplishments. They're, pr they're pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's good. But the vote is the vote and the vote stands. Okay. Um, then we start getting into the non-Houston area of girls matches, matchups, and uh, Marshall ran away with it against South Lake Carroll, um, basically 70% to 30%. Um, Good for Marshall. Good for Marshall. I completely agree. We just talked about San Antonio, and we'll do that uh, more. Um, and speaking of which, so this is a uh, – I don't know. Who do you root for if you're from San Antonio? Alamo Heights um, fell to Clark, and we've uh, obviously been talking up Clark quite a bit. Um, Clark beat them 26, uh, sorry, 76% to 24%. Um, Alamo Heights has a pretty serious pedigree, but Clark, man, oh man, that yeah. those, those teams were awesome. Yeah, uh, uh, they won four in a row. I think they were in what eight or nine straight state championship games. Yeah, yeah I mean that was a that was a that was a pretty good stretch in the 80s. So. Okay, so the matchups will be the uh, Baytown Sterling girls versus the site. Uh, sorry, the Clear Lake girls, and then the. Marshall girls versus the Clark. Oh, another Marshall Clark setup. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Good news. That'll be, that'll be fun for that Baytown in Clear Lake to see who's going to get the most voters out there. Exactly. Two top teams and um, probably in the history of Texas. Um, and uh, was it, and it's great to see the, like the Marshall and Clark teams and those dominant groups from the eighties kind of compete. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, We'll see who uh, pushes that message the most on Twitter. You know who you are. Um, boys, um, the first round is over as well. Uh, Clear Lake over Clear Creek. That was 60 to 40. Um, then uh, this is, I don't think, much of a surprise. Baytown Sterling over Side Creek, uh, 80 to 20%. Um, I mean, that was probably chalk. I think most people would agree that, you know, that the, that the Baytown Sterling and the Clear Lake boys are the top two programs there. Yeah. It's one of those things where you, you say this is no insult to, to Cy Creek to be in this position. And it's true. It's just not. Um, Baytown Sterling has been a phenomenal program. Um, same with this next one, St. Mark's over Alamo Heights boys, 73% uh, to 27% ish. 
Um, and finally, the uh, here's the other matchup. Oh, I forgot to ask. I asked you last week, so I'm, you have to guess because things may have changed a little bit. Clark versus Marshall Boys. What's the result? Tell me. 53 to 47. Clark winning. Totally wrong. 54.4 to 45.6. You were six. You were way, way off. I was at it. But, you know, Clark probably had the best of of the Marshall groups back in the day. And uh, was it they won again four straight? They were in, the, they were in that state championship game a ton. Um, and St. Mark's, you know, well-deserving state championship yeah. from 1977 to 2019. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's been educational for me to watch these matchups because I, I didn't know necessarily the individual accomplishments of the program. So well done to those who won in the first round. We'll come back next week with round two. Those matchups will be upcoming. Um, and in the meantime, um, there's, well, you have not yet had a conversation with George Block, but that's our intention. And that's what's coming next. Um, did, was there Anything that you wanted to share about the, your experience with him that you didn't share last week? I don't remember what I shared last week, but, <laughs> but George Block is the reason that there was water polo at Alma Heights. And then he moved from Alma Heights to Northside and kind of once their first pool got built there. And it was only four high schools then. And it just grew and expanded and like the number of high schools, but he brought water polo with them. It was uh, kind of part of their scene as far as, you know, the fall season, the spring season, there was an age group program. And that was probably the prime, probably he was probably the driving factor of water polo being part of the aquatic scene in San Antonio. And probably the primary reason why they were so dominant there in the eighties. So, right. And, and he was also my uh, coach whenever I was a club swimmer there. So he was, he was a big in, he was a big influence on my life. So right there you go. Full disclosure. Um, yeah, that that's going to be super interesting. Um, I think we're going to leave it at that because uh, we did talk a little bit about San Antonio as far as the strength of its programs, but uh, George Block has been there for a long time. He's the kind of person whose name is on the side of buildings. So it's yeah, somebody he's that we hired now. And but um, but yeah, he's still on some committees. He's yeah, he's still he's still kicking around, and he's been very. Influential, yeah, and not just in San Antonio and Texas water polo and swimming, but throughout from coast to coast as well. And I'm looking forward to kind of, kind of, kind of getting and helping out the San Antonio groups that are that are trying to grow water polo there. It's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge, but it's gonna be fun. I see kind of San Antonio being an upstart program here in the next couple of years. They already are, but now I think that it's gonna be there's gonna be a ton more oh, kind of water polo being played there. Uh, very soon. So yeah, based on our conversations offline, Joe, I'm worried about it too. Like you guys are gonna be pretty killer. Um, you guys, you guys, <laughs> you guys from San Antonio. Guys. I told you, <laughs> I have a mental uh, rivalry between Austin and San Antonio, but uh, I don't actually want to. <laughs> I, I would, I would rather have all the talent that they have down there, you know, than not have any talent at all. So um, no, no, it's. I mean, it's exciting. There's always been the north side. Um, schools that have been playing now, the Northeast schools are going to be playing in fall of 2021. Alma Heights is building a, a new pool. Hopefully the San Antonio kind of ISD people are going to be playing as well. Uh, the Kamau kind of ISD people in New Brambles and kind of kind of North San Antonio are, are kind of hopefully be playing. So there's going to be a ton more. Plus we have all those teams from the Valley and Corpus that yeah. are playing too, and they're going to come up. It's going to be like a central hub and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a challenge and it's going to be a lot of water pool going to be played there soon. It is a challenge. I mean, you, you're the one who did uh, so much to help grow it down in the valley. And uh, for especially for those who are not from Texas, I mean, th the region in the west here from Waco essentially to the valley is essentially like a 10, it's 10 hours. It's six hours from the valley to Austin, I think. So it's a gigantic territory. Yeah, a lot of water polo all over that region. Yep. Yeah, it's great. And there's a lot of very good people that are growing it and yeah. that, 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 are, that, are, that are doing their part. And I'm just doing my part. So you are doing your part. I'm doing my part by saying that we're going to move on to the conversation that Joe is hopefully, hopefully going to have with George Block. And we'll be back after that. Hey, this is Mark Lawrence from Austin College, head coach of the men's and women's workload programs and home of our kangaroos. When I'm interested in uh, what's going on with Texas Warflow, I always listen to TX Warflow podcast.
welcome to today's uh, podcast uh, talk with uh, George Block. George Block is basically the godfather of aquatics in yeah in San Antonio. He coached at Alma Heights. He was the aquatics director at Northside um, ISD. He has a pool named after him. He was also the head coach for Quad A four, I think. He was my head coach, yeah, for my club. So um, he's also been on the boards of ASCA and USA Swimming and USA Water Polo. George, thank you so much for doing this. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Happy to watch you succeed. I don't know if I've succeeded at all. I like I am in, in I I am in in the sport of water polo, and I wish every day that you know why don't I like coach golf or <laughs> basketball yeah. or, or football. <laughs> but I fell in love with water polo at age nine or ten in Whispering Oaks in yeah in, in San Antonio. So I love what I do, and it's and it's all and it's a whole lot of fun. So what are you doing nowadays? I'm uh, mostly retired, and I'm still doing a lot on nonprofit boards with swimming and uh, just in the community at large. Okay, good, good. Um, and uh, how are you doing with the whole COVID-19? Um, we sequestered in place in South Padre Island. Not a bad place to sequester. We if we're going to be in prison, that's a real nice prison. Okay, there you go, there you go. And I'm and I'm sure you got out and kind of walked the beach a little bit here with Basically, your mask on. Got four and a half miles of walking in every day, and. Uh, I brought a TRX down to do some strength work and uh, we read a lot and uh, ate too much. Read a lot and ate too much. Yes. Um, was it my wife and I tend to eat out kind of, kind of way too much. So the whole COVID thing is we did a lot more dishes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but, um, but no, it's, yeah. Um, I'm glad that we're opening up now and pools are becoming a little bit more kind of available and swim in yep. uh, swim programs and yeah, in water programs are, are starting back up. So we'll see how that goes kind of moving forward. Yep. Yeah. Just pending uh, like, like an additional peak or something, which we hope does not happen. So well, it's already happening. So <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Was it so? Um, all right. I just said that you're the godfather of aquatics in San Antonio. So you started at Alma Heights. Yes, sir. And you, and you brought water polo with you. So, so just tell us about that. You started well, in 1973. Go. That was my first job. I was a pentathlete at Fort Sam Houston at the time. And the coach at Alamo Heights was Pete Williams. And he asked myself and another guy, Tim Henrich, um, who you may remember as Torque, um, if we would come and um, coach water polo. And we went, okay. But he handed us a, uh, sheet of rules and they were using a volleyball and the you scored a goal if you got it between the ladders on either side of the pool was hey, of, you gotta start somewhere you have to start somewhere it was sort of mall ball and we did that for a year and said look if we're gonna do this again we want to do it right and really course, coach water polo and you know um i said i think it makes for bad culture on the team if part of your program is deliberately half-assed if, no, if you're no. not going to do it right and it doesn't matter, don't do it. You're preaching the choir, my friend. You're preaching yeah. the choir. So. And so we said we're going to do it right from that point. And so the next year we started the high school team and a club team to support it. Nice. Like a, like a club water polo team or a a club, like, a, like an aquatic swimming and club team? Um, it was all of the above. You know, all the swimmers played water polo and all the water polo players swam. Um, but you know, you had to, in order for just like now, in order to have insurance, you got to register with water polo. Of course, of course. So now, tell us a, a little bit about those early state high school uh, kind of championships. I, I, I know Fosdick was involved at a certain level. It was kind of wild, wild west days. Well, it was it was very wild, wild west um, because it was it wasn't run by an organization by Tisca or by the UIL. It was run by Fos. And. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, in, in some ways it made it crazy. In other ways, you know, he made it happen. So, you know, you can't bitch about it too much because if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't be there now. No, again, of course. Um, but we would definitely do things like show up at state and he would hand us a new set of rules or new set of interpretations the like 30 minutes before the first game that he had just got out in California at a college tournament they were at. And so we'd have played the entire season under one set of rules and one set of interpretations. 
And then 30 minutes before the first game, we were all given a new set of rules and new set of interpretations. So, I mean, you were coaching kind of the Alma Heights team. Who were some of the other team in rivalries at the time? In San Antonio or there, there were no other teams in San Antonio? No other teams. Um, when, when we would do tournaments, we would typically split our high school team a couple of different ways and our club team. We'd invite a lot of private schools up from Mexico. Um, St. Mark's almost always would come down from Dallas. We had a real good relationship with St. Mark's. Um, and every now and Stutzman. then, not very often, a team would come over from Houston, but they didn't need to because even back then they had plenty of competition. And so yeah. it was really St. Mark's, us, and some Mexican teams. Okay. Well, I mean, like you got to play kind of who you got to play and kind of one of the best things that I think happened in Texas that it, it took what California and, and until the mid nineties was there was a girls water polo in the seventies. It started in, in the seventies, a championship started in the late seventies. And I thought that was great. It was from day one was, was women's. There was never any difference. Um, they were on different weekends, the state. And so then the season went the same way. You'd have a, Boys weekend, a girls weekend, a boys weekend, a girls weekend, a boys weekend, a girls weekend, then, you know, girls state, boys state, um, all the way through. And so uh, I never experienced it from 1973 forward um, where there wasn't a girls water polo championship that was on a par with the guys. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I tell this and I don't make it a secret. I would much rather coach a bunch of 18, 16 and under girls than a bunch of 18, 16 under boys. <laughs> I mean, cause they listen better. They uh, understand the little things and boys are off the reservation at that age as I was. As well. so, <laughs> yeah. You coached a lot of people that were off the reservation. I don't think I was as bad as some people, but, I, but you know, I am that, sure you can share a story or two right now. The territory at that age. <laughs> yes. There you go. And, uh, no, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, then you won two championships, like you won boys and girls in 1979, right? Well, Were you there or had you already moved to Northside at that point? No, no, I, I was at Northside. It was, it was kids that I had coached that won, but okay. I, I came over the, my last year at um, Alamo Heights was 77. Okay. Okay. So what made you kind of do that transition? I know you became the aquatics director over at kind of Northside. So just tell me what, what you know, was just inviting about it. Was water polo was a big part of it is that yeah. I knew that if I came, we could immediately expand water polo in the city. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't, there was probably a 90% chance that it wouldn't. Yep. And uh, so I came over, it was sort of, at the time, it was a lateral move because, um, you know, when we brought kids into the pool, it was, we brought them in, sat them in the bleachers and said, we have the tryouts in the deep end. The people look panicked and said, or you can go into the shallow end, whatever you want. And anybody went to the shallow end, we put on the novice team. And anybody went to the deep end, we put on the age group team. <laughs> you got to take <laughs> hey, you don't have a whole lot of time. You got to do what you got to do in, yeah, yeah. in those, so, in know, those sort of amount of time. Pretty, pretty primitive at the start. Um, in, in fact, you know, the truth is the only reason I got that job is they had offered it to a bunch of really top coaches. And they came down and said, you got no team. You got nobody out here. You got no summer league feeders. You got nothing. No. <laughs> and so, you know, they ran out of really good coaches to bring in. So they got me. <laughs> so, I mean, so water polo kind of was a big part of that kind of yeah, transition. It was a huge part of it at the time. And you, and you brought it from Alma Heights and obviously you, you probably also built the summer league swim systems and stuff. Cause that's what I grew up in. And yeah, that was early eighties. Whenever I started all that stuff. Um, and uh, the, my last year at Heights, we won state. And then, and then the both boys and girls won it two years later. Um, but because but because we had a sort of established, we'd already won one, then Heights was always going to hire a good water polo coach. And, and they've, they've done that. They've always hired a good water polo coach. Yeah. And, I mean, then you moved to Northside, and the swimming just excelled, obviously. But right. this is the water polo podcast. So, but basically, I know they're the Houston teams, and they kind of dominated, yeah, the 70s. And then Alma Heights kind of, yeah, yeah started doing well. 
but then the north side teams just dominated the 80s just so just tell us about kind of kind of about about some of the good programs the good coaches when we so the the pool opened in uh february of 78 um so you know with like a week to go in the high school season, the pool opened. Um, That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't care. I'm sure. Opened. I I'm sure it was supposed to open in September. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, and we, I had uh, that year. I had Holmes at Elmo Heights. I had Marshall at Northeast, and I had Jay at Lackland. So I just drove around the different practices. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And so, were you the head coach for all of them? For all of them that first year. Oh, geez. There you go. There you go. But the district was really committed to doing it right, um, partly because back then building a, you know, what then was a large natatorium was really controversial. Um, and the real reason they built it wasn't for competitive swimming. It was, and you can sort of think about many drives to the pool. There's so many drainage ditches in Northside that every time it rained, kids would drown. And okay. um, what they wanted was swim lessons and what they called drown proofing. And so every child in third grade came through the pool for two weeks of swim lessons um, just to get exposed to water and, you know, teach them as much as we could and teach them safety and, you know, push off the bottom, roll on your back, call for help, all that stuff. Um, and that was the, the, the big driver. But the second is they wanted to succeed athletically. So, when we started, I was able to hire a coach for boys and girls at each high school. And so the first decade, we had a, a boys coach and a girls coach at each high school. And so that meant that the boys teams and girls teams got a lot of attention. Yep. Um, even if they, you know, the boys were in the practice, or in the water practice, the girls would be outside stepping through it, you know, run through it on dry land sort of playing like team handball type water polo outside, you know. Just same. kind of rotating the groups in and out? Offensive concepts. Uh, you know, the same, same as you experience morning and afternoon. But if the, you know, girls were in, or the boys were in the morning, then the girls were outside doing sort of team handballish water polo outside. Now, but didn't you have some coaches that coached both boys and girls at the same high school? Um, well, one of the things that was going on in the state at that time was that was really the beginning of the budget cuts to education that went on for about 20 years. And when we got to a certain point when a coach would leave, um, I couldn't replace him and we had to combine teams. And so we sort of gradually went from having a boys coach and a girls coach to just one coach at each school. Yeah. Cause I mean, I know I was very young at the time, but I remember, I think Mark Elliott Clark, I know Doug Andrew at Marshall. I think they coached. Both. Like when Mark was the boys coach at Clark, Scott Zielinski was the girls coach. Okay. Um, so, you know, sort of the way that went, but when Scott left, I couldn't replace him. Then Mark became both. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, I thank you so much for, for bringing water pole to you. Yeah. To North side. I mean, I mean, there was obviously, I remember as a young pup kind of going to the games and my older brother was playing. It was great. I mean, it was great to watch the games. And I think I, and then we traveled to Houston for the state championship or their state championship kind of wasn't in, yeah, kind of was in San Antonio. So, I mean, are there any players that that kind of stick out from that time frame or that era from the Marshall, Clarks, Jay? Well, um, you know, the, so, like, if I go way back into to Alamo Heights, the I think the two best players that come out of there, boys, were Pat McCullough and Tilden Schaefer. And uh, Pat went out to UOP and yep. played and has never moved back. He's a geologist out in California now. Uh, um, a lot of people don't move back. Although a lot of people are, are moving back or just moving from California to here. Yeah, moving from. And Tilden um, went to Brown and played – four years out there and then uh he, he's uh, he ran for district attorney here in san antonio this year but uh those two when we had the club team at heights you know they started playing together from the time they were eight till the time they were 18 
and they were just like radar by the by their senior year. That was, that might have been the weakest Heights team, but those two were so good they made it all the way to the state final. Yeah. Um, it doesn't it doesn't shock me at all. Yeah. Is that so, something – it doesn't take a whole lot to be good in high school sometimes. You have two, three good dominant players that have yeah. been playing together for a long time. It's still the same way. So. Yeah. And then if I sort of go the, – the top goalie from Heights was a guy named Andy Gates. I guess from water polo you may know him. He's a referee now out in California. I've heard of Andy, yes. There's a lot but, of um, – And I think I've had a beer with Andy, but, you know. He coaches – you know, he coached high school for years and years and years out there, and now he's retired from high school, but uh, um, doing a lot of college roughing. On the um, dark side, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I'm just playing all those referees that are listening. The, uh, I ref too, so it's okay. <laughs> you know, the, the, the top players, you know, one of the – the guy who was a freshman, the transition year from Heights to, to Northside um, – with Terry Vetters. Ah, oh, yeah, Terry. Here you go. And um, he went out and played college in California and made the national junior team back then. And the national junior team coach said he was the, the best defensive player on the whole national junior team. Um, and so, you know, he was, you know, in, in high school, a real force to be reckoned with. Um, you know, girls around that time, um, Valerie Dominguez, who then became Valerie Bean, and now is Valerie Martin. <laughs> um, she was, uh, you know, she, she made the junior team and then national, the national B. Um, so she was quite a force. On her team was Terry's sister, Mary Ellen Betters, who played mm -hmm. four years at Stanford. Yep. Um, so, so she was really solid. Um, you know, sort of going to your era, probably the best – goalie ever at Northside was David Proft, but he just oh, yeah. hated being a goalie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who, um, yeah, but who does like being goalies except for true goalies? So yeah, I mean, and he had all the, the skill set and the body and everything for you. He was just amazing. But, you know, after about a year and a half, two years, he said, no, I got to get out on the field. I want to score. I want to shoot. <laughs> yeah, he could also swim a little bit too. So there you yeah. go. Plus, yeah. he just he, he just has this huge torso, the long arms. Yeah, he, and, he could egg beat her out to his knees and all that stuff. And yeah. Dave still plays. Dave yeah. still plays. So, uh, was it he still plays for a, a, a club called Totex up in Austin? So, and yeah. he's done well for himself. And then, and, uh, you know, in that era just before that, where guys like uh, Cy Wintery ended up being captain at Air Force Academy, Ellis Eaton ended up being captain yeah. at Air Force Academy. Um, We've had a lot of players do really well at the academies, Air Force, Navy. Um, oh, yeah. Did really yeah. well in those environments. Yeah, we even had uh, like my older brother who wasn't a, who wasn't necessarily a standout on on kind of some of those car teams, but also Chris Alvera yeah. from the Marshall and car teams kind of back in the day. So yeah. I mean, there's been there are a ton of kids and even and they kept being competitive all the way up through the end of the ninety like the eighties and nineties. But then kind of Houston started kind of rising a little bit at the end of the 80s and early 90s. So, you know, a lot of that was demographics. <laughs> Houston boomed with suburban growth at that time. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, from living there, it used to be a, sh a schlep out to Woodlands. You know, now it's just suburb, 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 suburb. Same thing with from Katy. Katy it's still a schlep, be, though. It's still a schlep, though. Yeah, it's still a schlep. You know, and... Katie used to be way outside of Houston and now it's just constant. Yeah. Um, so there was this massive urban uh, sprawl, urban sprawl and affluent urban sprawl and pool building urban sprawl. Yeah. And um, Houston had been sort of cloud seated with some pretty darn good coaches and players. Um, you know, you talked about earlier, we were just BS and we are talking about, you know, clear Lake back in the day. You know, Lanny Landroop had a hell of a program at Clear Lake, and those yep. guys could really play, and they could really swim. Um, and so there were a lot of guys who um, – they, they just had a lot of potential coaches. They had a lot of good players. They had a lot of good coaches. And so it wasn't too surprising to see it sprawl. So I, like, I mean, a, a guy who was sort of the godfather of swimming up in New Braunfels – and he gave me a lesson in humility one time and said, you know, 
don't get really carried away. You're a really great coach. So it's all demographics. And he <laughs> pulled out his computer problem, computer sure. program and showed demographics all over the country and where the reds lit up with just great swimming all over the country. It is. Yeah, it is. It, it is definitely true. I mean, but like, so, but some of those great San Antonio teams. So what did they have that was better besides demographics? that was better than like the Houston teams. I know they could swim and I know that they had the fall season. They had the spring season. There was an age group program. So, I mean, you, know, you had built we, that up. We I mean, did all that. We had, you know, the, the sort of the real fall season and a little short spring season. We would always bring in, we'd always do a clinic every year. You remember the Fiesta water polo clinics that we always course, did? Of course. Um, you know, so we, we brought in a good California coach to keep us current so that we wouldn't get stagnant just with ourselves, which I think would be really easy to do in that environment. Um, we had really good, good coaches, um, either from really good polo coaching backgrounds, like, uh, you know, like Kurt Swanson, you know, the, and hopefully his homes team that was undefeated would be one of the all time teams. That was, they were, they were in the best of Texas in the top 16. So I think they, you know, I think the closest game they had all season was 10 or 11 points. Um, you know, Don Boyd came in with a lot of coaching experience. Um, you know, we had a guy at Marshall named Mike Phelps who had played high school in California at a pretty high level and then swam at Indiana. Um, you know, Debbie Starr played college at A&M. Um, so we had a, we had a lot of experience, a lot of good coaches and that created just a lot of having everybody in one pool is sort of a disadvantage. The advantage is it makes it almost like a university academic department. There's so much sharing of ideas. And yeah. um, we had a guy from Michigan named Tom Topolsky, who was just a freaking genius and especially a genius at coaching girls. And he came up with some uh, sort of, you know, the ways that train girls to shoot so they wouldn't shoot like a girl and um some exercises can't say that anymore coach you can't say that so there you go yeah <laughs> but I, I just did so <laughs> i edited that out but he had all sorts of of great ways that just developed some really good women shooters um and you know, he was just brilliant and the girls really responded to that um and so i think a lot of a lot of the magic was just having all those really good coaches in one room watching what each other was doing and sharing ideas. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and, and as we know, you know, sometimes coaches get a little bit too protective of their stuff and yeah. they don't want to share. And that, and I remember, you know, uh, Clark is, yeah, I went to Clark. So Clark is practicing and the Marshall is practicing. The coaches are talking and they're sharing different things, but then we play to play to try to go to state the next weekend, you know? So, exactly. um, I, I do remember. And you mentioned Debbie Starr. I remember Debbie Starr was my age group coach in sixth grade. <laughs> my age group coach in, yeah, in sixth grade. And, but, I, but I do remember that, you know, I don't know if it was going into my eighth grade year, but that the age group team was stopped. Well, there's nobody to play after a while. Um, and at first, Heights kept their age group team going. When Paul Bergen was the head coach, head women's coach at UT, he was also in charge of Longhorn Aquatics. And so the Texas women played polo, plus all of Longhorn Aquatics played polo. And that was a huge club. And so, you know, they could, they could put 20 teams in the water. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we could bring up four teams and Heights would bring up two. It didn't take too many programs and you could have a pretty quality age group tournament you're going to play a lot of people but um i can't remember under which coach heights dropped and then once bergen left um just sort of petered out at at longer when the when the coaches who worked for bergen were all gone water polo left um and so there's just nobody left to play other than play inner squad well, you'd be good. you'd be happy to know we had a tournament this past uh, January which called the Dare to Dream over MLK weekend. It, it was in Houston. We had twenty five teams, all twelve and under. Wow. <laughs> and it was like I think it was like twelve, thirteen different clubs. So, um, and that was 
up from about nine or 10 in like the previous year. So we're hoping to get that to be like 30 or or 40 teams here soon. So again, just kind of grow the base, right? Just grow the base and get as many kids playing as possible. And, uh, but then, I mean, also during high school, I think that, you know, we used to have like the fall season and then also the spring season, but then, you know, I know that they shifted the, like the high school swimming, then the spring kind of high school season kind of went away a little bit. I don't really know how the spring, I think when they were trying to sort of force the fall season, um, then the spring went away. When the UIL shifted the seasons, that really caused a lot of the, the sort of a, a mess and, you know, but not enough time for a fall season, not enough teams wanted to play in the spring. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, no, it's, it, I mean, it's just, you know, and so what we're talking about is the high school swimming state used to be the middle of March. Then it got moved up to yeah. the middle of February. week of March and now it's second week of February. So, so it got earlier. moved up quite a bit earlier. So, and then that also then kind of moved up a lot of club swimming from that might've started in early May to mid May to the, like the beginning of April and stuff like that for long course season, stuff like that. So um, it just kind of shifted a lot of things. And that was one of the primary reasons if we fast, if we fast forward back into late two thousands kind of moving yeah, yeah, the spring and then the rise of, of, the number of teams kind of throughout the state. So. Are you familiar with the Florida seasons, the way Florida does it? Um, yeah, I mean, Florida, I, um, off the top of my head, they, I, they have changed a little bit, but I believe that they play high school water polo in the spring. Right. So. And what, what they do is they start high school swimming first day of school or even a little bit. They, they start whenever football and volleyball does. Of course. Yep. And they have their championship right around the second weekend in December. And then they play water polo then from sort of the day after Christmas until the first weekend of spring break. And then after spring break, the water polo club kids go to their water polo, the swimming club kids go to their swimming and everybody's doing their summer thing. Yep. And I think that's a really good way to do it. It creates meaningful seasons for everything and still allows time for everything. And I think if, we're going to be really successful in the long term. We, we need to not only think about adding water polo, but creating new season structures. It's really hard in anything that you do in life to just add stuff, add you. You also have to subtract something. (laughs) You have to create room for the new thing that you're adding. You have to adjust and adapt and such like that. So, yeah, yeah. And you, have you know, to move forward. every addition requires a subtraction. Just otherwise your life becomes too out of control. And so uh, I think one of the things that in terms of implementing, how do you make high school water polo real? How do you make it really succeed? How do we do this? Especially given now that there are so many combined facilities like Northside's. You know, Houston sells a lot of single high school pools. But, you know, Dallas, I-35 corridor, um, San Antonio, it's all central facilities. I think we should be really looking at a version of that Florida-type schedule. Yeah, so, um, so I, I, as, I'm, as I'm sure you're aware, that the UIL did this past October of 2019, October 21st at 9.35 a.m., they okay. uh, they uh, they officially sanctioned and and I know the day and time because that was a very long process, and I'm sure that you even were involved in that process way back in the day too. So, this and is the process uh, was going back on in the '70s. Oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, and it started stop, and we finally we finally figured out the rules of the game and started to play the game the way that UIL wanted us to play the game, and it was the first sport that was added in 20 years. Um, the UIL decided to move the official season to the fall it's going to start august one along with volleyball and football any thoughts on as far as the challenges the possible like you know kind of success stories of the fall 2021 season um you know fall is sort of all to me has been the traditional season yep um that's what i grew up with as a kid doing it myself that's what i grew up with as a coach uh, that's what I implemented when I came to Northside. So I'm, I'm really just comfortable with that. The downside for the fall is 
it is extremely discriminatory against inner city teams. Yeah. Because the new kids, new freshmen, are literally learning how to swim at the same time they're learning how to play water polo. And so at best, if they stick with it, because that's a pretty negative experience, their first year is their second year. Yep. And so the most they'll get is three years of experience in high school yep. um, compared to, to four. And I almost think especially now, if we're not being sensitized and sensitive to stuff that's structurally discriminatory, yeah. um, we're really neglecting our jobs and our leadership role. Diversity and inclusion. That is, yeah. that is, on, that is on the forefront. And I, and I and think just, that is a reason that the, we should, that's another reason we should consider the Florida season is that if kids start out with a swimming season, the inner city teams have a season to teach the kids how to swim and give them a little bit of endurance. And then they can jump into water polo that they're not hanging on lane lines and hanging on the side of the pool and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, that you're giving the urban schools a chance. And um, I think that's really important. And I think it's something we should be thinking about um, and sandpapering our consciences to make sure we're doing more than lip service. No, no, and this is, and this is, this is part of us kind of quote unquote getting ready for fall 2021 yeah. is the education aspect. It's, it, uh, it's preparing coaches, it's preparing programs, it's preparing athletic directors. All right, once again, we're done. We're hoping that was a conversation with George Block when we were uh, prepping for the show today. We're like, we're, we're, what we should say is that we hope that was a conversation with George Block. Um, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm fairly confident it's going to happen, but we're going to have to scramble tomorrow to get it incorporated. So, um, But Joe, no coaches to coaches or town hall this week. Why not? What's wrong, Joe? The Zoom break for everyone. The Zoom break for everyone so that you can move. Yes, I'm actually this week. Um, it's a lot of just getting the house ready to go and packing and stuff like that. So yes, it's a little bit of, there is a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes, yeah, that goes in, into those things. So it's a break. It really does. Or like it's a Zoom break. It's like kind of the first week of summer for a lot of people. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's also my moving you know, or preparing to move week. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that, I, you're allowed. You can do that. Um, Okay, well, safe travels, of course. You're going to keep me filled in on what's going on anyway. Um, and uh, best wishes to both you and Steph. Oh, it's going to be fun. I'm probably still going to be up here in North Texas next week, but hopefully in San Antonio the week after that. So. Yeah, everybody, hey, go buy Joe's house if you're listening and you want to play some grapevine. We can give and, you the address off the air. I'm not going to do it here, but uh, yeah, go go check and, that out. And the kids would go to Carroll School, so there you go. So. Yeah, what's the pitch? What did you say? They, it's, so you're a grapevine resident, but the kids would go to Carroll. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. All right. I think we're done. Yeah. Let's remind everybody. Uh, well, we can. Re we just reminded people of things are coming up. But thanks to you and thanks to George Block. I'm hoping for taking the time to talk with us. And thanks to everyone out there for listening and telling a friend about the TX Waterpolo podcast. Find us on txwaterpolo.com. Find us on social media. Leave comments. Give it to the cause. And stay up to date on the ever-changing state of the game in this big beautiful state so until next week so long from austin
been a production of TWP Sports LLC. My dog is scratching at the door. Uh, I can hear him.